You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. He's Hall of Famer, two-time NBA champ, 10-time All-Star, and coach of the boys' basketball team at Gulliver Prep in Pinecrest, Florida. The former Big East Player of the Year, Ray Allen, back on the program. Ray, I was looking at your bio. You were in England. You were in Germany growing up, Air Force bases. Uh, Do you speak German? No. Okay. I did a little bit when I was younger. Okay. And then did you have an English accent when you lived in England? When I was younger, I certainly could put one on. Well, let, let me hear a little bit of your English accent. Uh, let me see. How are you? <laughs> well, that sounded like Ray Allen. Well, I mean, you, you can, you depend on what part of uh, the country and it, it sounds a little different, but you know, it needs a little work. If I, if I went back to London I think I, I can assimilate. Did people make fun of you when you came to the United States with an English accent? I didn't come with an English accent, but I was extremely proper. So <laughs> it, when I came from England, I moved to California. So it kind of it, it fit in there. But then now going from California to South Carolina was when I was in trouble because I was way too proper for the kids that I went to school with when I was there. <laughs> Uh, congrats on the 75th team, but I'm curious what happened behind the scene with the 75th anniversary. You know, everybody's putting on their jackets and what, what was the mood like behind the scenes when everybody was there for the 75th anniversary team? You know, it was like a high school, just being, uh, I'm walking in the room and, uh, like when we first, you know, you're going into the room and. On one side of the room, uh, all the guys, the all-stars, were taking pictures before the game. And all of us were sitting in there with our, our jackets on, our 75th jackets. And uh, I'm speaking with uh, James Worthy, with Bill Walton, um, and Robert Parrish. And I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, I, I just, you know, no matter what you achieve, accomplish in your career, you're sitting here like, I just remember when I was 10 watching James Worthy play basketball, not, you know, we'd come down the floor and we'd call ourselves the LA Lakers anytime we went on the fast break. And just having this moment, you just, you go back to when you were a kid. And I think for most of us, that's kind of where it takes you because you remember these kids, you know, we're like a great song takes you back to your childhood or to a favorite moment of your life. That's what seeing these guys were like for me, like seeing them up close and personal just reminded me of who I was growing up. Did you walk up to Jordan? Well, I I see Jordan all the time. Like playing I seen golf. him last. Yeah, I seen him last. I played with him the week before playing golf, so I, I see him all the time. But MJ, he actually, you know, he was at Daytona, you know, for his uh, for the race. So we were actually about to walk onto the court, and you know, magically he appears into the hallway. <laughs> And then the first thing he says, he sees magic as he comes through. And you guys seen it uh, online. And he, he asked him if he had, had his tennis shoes with him. And um, we we were talking about, you know, playing golf a little bit. And then magic kind of appeared, you know, at the same to- at the same time. And that's when that little uh, that little conversation happened. And we just you know, it was just quintessential magic Jordan like we knew growing up. And to be able to be sitting here with these guys and calling them peers now is like a, it's so surreal. But Mike can't turn it off. Mike, it's always on. And he's there saying to Magic, hey, you got your shoes? Let's, let's go. Play one-on-one. Yeah, 
But here's the thing. I, I tell people all the time, like when you when you're playing a sport, and you're so good at it. You're a competitor. You don't go home and stop being a competitor. You know, you can't change your brain out like you end up being that same person all the time. Now you have to understand who you can compete with and how you compete with them. And, you know, obviously you don't want to compete with your wife at home. And, and when I when I play basketball against my kids, I compete with them, but I show them, you know, how the game works and you, you're teaching them. But you still find ways to always challenge those people around you. And I think that's who M is and that's who he's always been. And everybody, for that matter, that has made it to that level where you've been uh, named the 75 greatest of all times, there's a reason for that. You know, and, and, and a lot of times those reasons set you on that lonely path where you're sitting there saying to yourself, man, like I'm doing this by myself because the things that you've wanted in your life, not everybody has wanted. How come you got to shoot more? How come you're still on the floor? How come you won't hang out with us? Those times when you take that separate path are, are, are why the greats end up being the greats. You also had to sacrifice your ego at some point in your career, because when you first came into the league, I mean, you were getting 25 a game and you were dunking on people. And then yeah. so you get to the Celtics and then you is that where it's is it discussed that, OK, now I have to play a role or what is my role with Paul Pierce and, and Garnett and Rondo? Well, between uh, between uh, Paul, uh, myself, and Kevin, we had an understanding. We did an interview uh, in the beginning of the year, and uh, we were asked if it came to one last second shot between the three of you, who would take it? And the reporter asked us, but I want you to all answer at the same time. <laughs> and so... Paul answered me, Kevin answered me, and I answered the open person. So I think we walked into that season in, in the right frame of mind. Now, what I had just come from in Seattle, playing in Seattle, like it was shoot first, play fast, open, uh, launching threes left and right, similar to how uh, Golden State's playing today. So I remember in practice, I come down, Launch a three. KG's on the block, posting up. Doc goes ham on me. <laughs> you got to throw the ball down low to KG. He's wide open. You got to get him the ball. That's a good and imitation like, of Doc there. Yeah. I'm like, Doc, I was open. He, I want you to throw the ball inside <laughs> out, and then he's going to find you. He's unselfish. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we it was that it was that position, that point where we were – you, you had to kind of rip apart and have those uncomfortable conversations early where I wasn't going to be taking those shots quick, just like that in transition. I think over the course of our five years together, it evolved into that because Doc started to understand, you know, what my capabilities were, and who, who I was. And he saw it firsthand, you know, what I was capable of doing. And even Kevin is self unselfish as he, as he was, you know, on the block, uh, setting screens, we started to understand that, but when you come together early, you do have to make those sacrifices. You do have to say, okay, I'm going to be 80% of who I've been in order for this team to win. He's Ray Allen, Hall of Famer, two-time NBA champ. This is the last time I'll ask. Um, how did the beef start with KG and Pierce and Rondo, and why did it end? How did it end? Uh, I, I don't – 
I didn't have any beef. There wasn't anything that uh, they have that, with that, you. Yeah. And they, they were upset that, that I uh, went to Miami and, you know, for me, I, I was happy that I focused on the five years that we spent together and that we won in 2008. And that for me, didn't change anything. So uh, this coming, this past weekend, I was uh, ecstatic to be there uh, for Kevin because of, you know, he and I grew up together. Um, I remember him 14, 15 years old and, you know, just the exuberance he had for the game of basketball and, you know, we had a, a, a kinsmanship as young people and then obviously watching him make it to the league. So I was ecstatic for him to get his jersey retired, uh, well-deserved. And I, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to be any other place. So I, I never had any uh, any ill will uh, towards any of them. Uh, it, it was just unfortunate because when you when you move on, like we all do at some point in our careers, um, you know, you, you it, I, I think it was more out of, uh, uh, hurt and, and, and disappointment more than anything, but you know, it's all good. And we're, we're brothers. And the one thing that we have to, uh, just hold on to is what we did together. And, and that is more important than anything. But when KG's on the microphone and then next thing you know, he's calling you out. Yeah. Did you think, you know, were you going to walk out there to KG? Listen, I, I, yeah, we have to go back because when, when Paul got his jersey retired, I, I actually didn't know about it. And I was in, uh, I was in LA. I had a, a, a commercial to shoot and I happened. And this is a funny story because I was playing golf and it was about 1230 in the, in the afternoon. And I was playing with, uh, with George Lopez and Anthony Anderson uh, in, in LA and George, he, gets a hole in one. And so I was like, we jumped up and down and I was excited. And I was like, man, that was awesome. And then I posted it now, 1230 on the West coast to three 30 <laughs> on the East coast. Paul was getting his Jersey retired. He was in the garden and he's walking out there and, you know, uh, Kevin and, and Rondo and Docker and all of them were there. And so I posted a picture that I was there and then everybody was making a big deal about it because I wasn't there. And I was like, I had no idea. And at that point, that was when I wasn't included, you know, I wasn't invited. And I, you know, so when this came up, I was like, remember, I don't care what anybody says. I will always be a Celtic. And what happened in 2008 is always going to be one of my favorite moments in my life. And so you just had to get through this period, this, this, this tough time and just men fits. And I think so Kevin's Jersey was being retired. I don't know if they knew I was going to be there, but I had on my schedule that I was going to be there. When I showed up, I think he was uh, surprised. I know uh, Kendrick Perkins was surprised that I was there. It was great to walk back in the building, and and I don't know how I was going to be received. I was assuming that some people would boo me because they still, you know, uh, <laughs> upset. Uh, but when I walked in, it was amazing because everybody kind of cheered and 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 celebrated, and then. Uh, when he called me out, when he called me out and he said it was good to see me in the building, I just had to walk up there and give him a hug because I know there's nothing scripted, you know, and I didn't want to be unemotional in that moment or, or, you know, in a position where I was just like, you know, you want to, what do I do? I was like, let, let me go get this man a hug because not only is it good for he and I, but it's good for the people to see, you know, so they understand like there's no, we're brothers. There's no ill will between us. It was great to see, but but I didn't expect to see it because I thought, you know what? I give you credit because you've never spoke ill of those guys. 
that you still have respect for them, but I realized KG was going to hold a grudge, and man, can he <laughs> hold a grudge, Ray? <laughs> you know, at the Hall of Fame, he's not even talking to you there, and you're in the room with him. Yeah, and well, here's the thing. When you look at – we look at – you know, I think about all the teams – that won championships over the course of history in any sport. One of the great things about tradition, young people, young teams, college teams, college players, they look up and aspire to be like those championship teams. And you, you, you walk in the building, you see jerseys uh, uh, retired and you see championships celebrated. And, and, and I give a lot of credit to Detroit, you know, cause I, you know, I follow Rip Hamilton. He's, you know, a brother of mine. And, he always is celebrating what they did in 2004 with the Pistons, you know, going back and, you know, somebody's getting their jersey retired. He's there. They're just at the game's courtside. And, and I think for organizations, that's huge, you know, just to have your, your, your former players show up to games. Like I honestly believe, you know, and tell me I'm strange, but I think all former players should have season tickets at the, the places that they used to play. You know, just because you should have a footing in and I'm not talking about the guy paying for it. I'm throwing it out there like, you know, these teams should make sure that their guys are there. So the the, the past play or the current players see it and the fans understand the connection to to their past. Because you, when you talk about the NBA now, you got so many teams with generations of fans. And just like I told you earlier, like you connect to the organization based on how you grew up watching them. So to watch. If you're a Milwaukee Buck fan and you see Oscar Robinson walk back in the building or Kareem, you know, or Bobby Dandridge, you're like, man, you know, but man, these guys were my heroes. And I think every organization should have that connection to their past. You wanted to be a Laker? I did. <laughs> I did. That was my first NBA game. You know, I seen, so I was, I was, uh, 10, 10, 12 years old in my high school, my coach at the time, he said, I walk out on the court. It's the fabulous form at the time. And they're playing the Pistons. I think this was 1988. Bill Lambeer shooting on one side, Kareem sky hooking on the other. Like first time ever seeing an NBA player. And he said, I'll give you $20 if you go get Kareem's autograph. And so I didn't say yes, I didn't say no, but what I did, and this was me as a kid, just understanding and being uh, observant. I walked down there and I see other people just kind of watching them shoot before the game. And Kareem just focused, just shooting. And, and it was astounding to me because they didn't miss. But they're there early. And I watched other kids scream his name and he didn't even flinch, didn't even look in their direction. So I kept my mouth shut because I was like, I'm learning my lesson. Like, I'm not about to ask autograph and then my coach knew he was like kareem never signs autographs but you know he was going to give me that 20 dollars if i got it but <laughs> just imagining if i got his autograph then even to me and i don't think this way but just you think about value from 1988 would i still have it would i've kept it like you just never know but that was my early introduction to the nba and for me for and, and i seen kareem walk in the room and i've never told kareem the story and when he walked in the room, I seen him uh, during the Final Four a couple of years ago, and then I seen him this week, uh, the All Star Weekend, and I thought, man, he this was a guy that started off for me. Yeah, that's great stuff. Uh, congrats. I don't know if congrats is the right word, but I, I I'm I'm glad that you had a good month here. 
because yeah. you didn't do anything wrong, but you did. You know, we don't realize the competitiveness, the pettiness, you know, that this means everything in the world to these guys. And it's hard to, you know, you guys haven't played in how long and KG's still holding on to that because it meant so much to him. And how dare you leave them? And, you know, you're just trying to better your career. But it was a great moment. Great moment. I'm glad you walked on the floor. And uh, yeah. I, I appreciate you uh, you talking about it, Ray. Yeah, yeah. And it's fitting, you know, thank you for saying that, but it's fitting that I'm sitting here talking to you on St. Patrick's Day. So, <laughs> you know, thank you for, uh, I don't got no green on, but I got some green around me. Well, you've been cleaning your teeth there. Great. Yeah. You've been flossing your teeth there. Yeah. Well, uh, try to stay away from the dentist. Two great shooters. And, uh, you know, it, it, my guys bring it up to me occasionally that I did try to correct you with uh, the ball placement in your, uh, in your hand that day when you came into the man cave. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. You might be KG and I might be you. You might hold that grudge against me for a long time. No, the, see, the thing about a grudge, uh, Dan, is you hold a grudge, that means I'm living in your head rent-free or you're living in my head and I got to move past that. All right. And I still feel bad about that. Yeah. <laughs> Has anybody ever corrected you on your shooting form? Uh, yeah, people have tried. Okay. Uh, I remember I had a coach coming to Milwaukee. He was like, it was like my fourth or fifth year. And I had already made the all-star team. And he was like, you know, you, you, you take the ball low first and you gotta, you can't do that. You know? And he was adamant about it. And I was, I was looking at him. I was like, I don't know what you, what you want, want, want me to do, but this is kind of, I go it's here. Been working. Go, it's been working. Yeah, for me. It's been working out for me. And, and, and I think even more so for all the kids that are listening, you, you know, Reggie was a great uh, example for me because we're, we're, when we're kids, we're striving for perfection. People are trying to teach us perfection. And then there's a point when you get older where our bodies are just what they are. We can't do certain things that other people can do. Like you can't, you know, when you think about a golf swing later on in life, you just can't get that turn the way, you know, certain people, certain kids can. So you got to teach a person based on what they have, you know, what's available physically. And so, you know, Reggie, he, he crosses his hands when he shoots, but he's a perfectionist at working at it and figuring it out. And so once I saw how he shot, I was like, however I shoot, I just got to be really good at and understand where my deficiencies are. Like I know which side of the floor I'm quicker on than the other. So I got to work a little bit harder and understanding eye dominance. So you, you rotate a little bit faster. Uh, once you understand those things, then you can kind of keep it the same on every side of the floor. Always great to talk to you. Final 10 seconds. He got game two. What's the update? It is stagnant. Uh, you know, okay. listen, we need Denzel Washington on board. Right. Uh, if Denzel's on board, he's got a spike is ready to do this thing. So, Paulie, Paulie, would you uh, see if we can get a hold of Denzel? On it. See if I can move this along. Yeah, for get Ray. on it, please. <laughs> People are calling for it. They want it. Thank you, Ray. Great to talk to you again, buddy. See you too, Dan. That's uh, Ray Allen, Hall of Famer. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Uh, Coming up in a little bit, we will talk to the uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year, Andrew Whitworth, the former Rams tackle, will uh, stop by. Tournament starts in a little more than an hour from now. Deshaun Watson decision 
appears to be pending. Bills paid Von Miller. Raiders got Chandler Jones. The Buccaneers lock up Chris Godwin. Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, uh, NFL Network Insider. And he's done a great job this week reporting on all the free agency moves here. Follow him on Twitter at Rap Sheep. What's the latest on Deshaun Watson, Ian? Uh, Deshaun Watson still needs to decide. Uh, he is, you know, I say hopefully today, but uh, it's a big decision. It is a monumental decision. And I'm not sure he really cares very much about our timeline or honestly the team's timeline. He's got to make the right decision for him. This is, uh, this is why you have a no trade cause. I think people sort of assume no trade cause means, well, I don't want to get traded. Obviously it actually means I get to choose where I get traded if I'm going to get traded. So he's got the ultimate power now. Um, I would say as far as where it stands, I think New Orleans is in a really good spot. Um, you know, the others, um, you know, I would say there's a chance that some of the others, you know, Atlanta still has a chance, but, um, you know, I would say New Orleans certainly is looking good as of right now. Well, let's let's look at this. If he goes to New Orleans, is there any – What's the fallout that uh, with other, you know, like Jameis, uh, Jameis maybe with another team, uh, Taysom Hill, that quarterback experiment the, is over? Well, I mean, I think once once Sean Payton retired, I think the Taysom Hill as a full-time quarterback thing probably went by the wayside, yes. That was, Sean Payton was his biggest sort of advocate and proponent. So the dominoes, potential dominoes here are dramatic, right? So, and I could take you through yeah. depending on which way he goes. So let's say he goes to the Saints. Okay, well, then Jameis Winston is out there. Uh, the two teams that, as of right now, need quarterbacks are the Colts and Seahawks. So potentially he goes there or he gets a, uh, gets a really good backup spot where he would go compete. If, if Deshaun Watson goes to the Falcons, then they would obviously trade Matt Ryan. They have not yet restructured his contract, despite planning to do so early in the week. Um so then Matt Ryan would get traded somewhere else. Again, potentially the Colts or the Seahawks. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the Browns. Um, if Deshaun Watson uh, ends up with the Carolina Panthers, then presumably they would eat some money and trade Sam Darnold somewhere. Um, but that's probably the one that has the least ramifications. You know, really it's, um, it's if he goes to the Saints or the Falcons where it becomes really interesting. Why do you think Baker Mayfield put out that goodbye letter to the city of Cleveland? You know, it, it, it was read to me as a, if I have to say goodbye letter, because I'm not so sure that Baker Mayfield saying goodbye, honestly. And I'm not sure the Browns are saying goodbye to him. And I, I saw all this stuff that was reported and I'm not doubting what anyone else reported. Everyone works hard and has good sources. I just haven't heard any of that from what I've been told from the Browns perspective if they don't get Deshaun Watson, they would want to keep Baker Mayfield. And I understand that there are nerves. I understand it's frustrating. I understand that if you're Baker Mayfield and you see yourself as a franchise starter, you really would prefer the Browns not flirt with someone else. Definitely get it. However, it's the Browns' job to try to upgrade every position when possible. So I think it's something that, um, you know, I think it's something they can fix, and I get the sense it's something they want to fix. Yeah, because I, I just wondered, it. he he feels like, you know, you're fighting through an injury to play, and it felt like he was raising the white flag, that it just didn't seem like that was in his personality trait of, hey, I, I'm, you're going to have to drag me out of here because this is where I want to be playing. 
Well, I mean, I, I think one thing about Baker Mayfield that, you know, is I assume frustrating for a lot of people, but I kind of like it. Like, like he got a lot of backlash for putting out that note. I mean, I was getting all up in uh, MJD's grill on, you know, on NFL Network so yesterday or two days ago because he was like, he shouldn't have put out this letter. And I'm like, why? Like, he has feelings. He's hurt. I feel like we're in a time now where people expressing their feelings is way more acceptable than it ever has been. So, like, he's pissed off and it stings. He should get to say so, just like the Browns should get to say, like, like yeah, like, we're, we're doing this and we're taking a look at other positions and it's kind of all okay. Uh, oh, just as we're talking, uh, my colleague Mike Garofolo reports that the Browns have been informed they're out of the running. So that makes sense. And he says the team still views Baker Mayfield as the quarterback going forward. So that makes sense. <laughs> well, well, that's what I thought when he first put it out. It's like, what happens if they don't get to Sean Watson? Are they moving on from Baker Mayfield? But you think that... I don't think... No? You, you, you think they just I, bring him back? I mean, unless, unless he does something where he says, you have to trade me or I'm literally not showing up, which, you know, I don't know that that's... I don't know that's where we are. Um you know, I I I, th- I I would still envision Baker Mayfield as the Browns' starting quarterback. Uh, what about the Colts? The Colts would also like a quarterback at some point. Uh, they have options that are free agents. I would say Marcus Mariota is, um, you know, a pretty strong option right now. But, you know, again, let's say the Falcons get Deshaun Watson, and I would think Matt Ryan would be a really strong option there. I would think there's a lot to like there, and I would think they could probably do a deal Pretty simply, even though the Colts don't have a first-round pick, thank you, Carson Wentz. Um, but you know, one thing about one thing about Chris Ballard is, and everybody wants him to do everything. Everybody wants him to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. I know he had talks with the 49ers. I get the sense he is in no rush. He would like to watch this all play out, then pick his quarterback. Do you don't like, mind me. I'm re- I'm retweeting Garoppolo as I'm talking to you. But go ahead. That's fine. Uh, do you like Von Miller to Buffalo, or do you like? Chandler Jones to the Raiders. Which one do you like better? Um, I, I well, I like both. Now the the Chandler Jones to the Raiders is interesting because they signed him, but they lost Yannick Ngakwe. So like, it's not a one for one because Chandler is probably a little bit better, but close. Uh, for the Buffalo Bills, this was significant. And the craziest thing to me uh, is, you, do you remember a couple years ago when? Nobody wanted to choose Buffalo. And free agents would say, like, yeah, I'll come to Buffalo, but only if you pay me more. This was not the case. I mean, he came to Buffalo and chose it over L.A. I mean, he chose it over the Super Bowl champs. Now, it's a great deal and all that. I get it. But, like, Buffalo is a place that people really want to be, and that is really cool. Like, they've created a culture where free agents choose them over Los Angeles, and that is pretty awesome. Well, it feels like the Bengals are starting to get that feel that you actually would want to go play for Cincinnati. Is that the Joe yeah. Burrow effect? Yeah, Joe Burrow effect. And, you know, I would say the same for Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, you know, they got Justin Herbert. Like, and it's, you know, quarterbacks run the world. I think that's pretty clear. And it is getting a little bit like the NBA and not in a bad way at all. But, like, you, ha- you get a quarterback. And if you get a quarterback, you can kind of do everything else around it, right? Like you can, if you get a quarterback, you can say, all right, well, we don't have to spend money for a little bit. So we're going to load up. We're going to get all these people around him. And then we're going to roll from there. And if you have to pay the quarterback, then you get free agents on 
you know, lesser deals who want to come play with your guy. I mean, it's, it is becoming an ultra, ultra quarterback league in a way that it has never been before. Anybody have a bad week so far? Um, yeah, I would say the people who have had a bad week are the agents and players of position groups that didn't get paid by the Jets, of, uh, of people that didn't get signed by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like if you're a, <laughs> an agent for a receiver and you didn't have Christian Kirk, then, I mean, if you look at like none of the other receivers have signed, Valdez Scanley hasn't signed, Allen Robinson hasn't signed, because the Jaguars gave that huge deal to Christian Kirk and they're like, what's up, you know? Um, <laughs> I would say if you're an agent for an offensive tackle, you know, Teron Armstead is kind of waiting to see what happens with Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, your week is probably pretty boring because you haven't signed either. There's been some position groups that have been held up. Um, and I think it was not a good week for those guys. Great to talk to you. I know you're busy. Thanks for joining us, Ian. All right. Always good hanging out, man. Take care. That's Ian Rappaport, the uh, NFL insider, NFL Network. Browns are out. Uh, NFL Network's free agency frenzy coverage concludes today at 1 Eastern. Yeah, Browns are out. That creates a... Is there a welcome back party for Baker Mayfield? How does how does that no, that's work? Just saying thank you. <laughs> I didn't mean any. You guys are reading into it. I didn't say that. Look, he's got feelings. I get it. But as I wondered at the time, what happens if you go back? And maybe you go back and all right, it's awkward for a couple of days. That and then you had Chris Mortensen. Mort had the report that somebody in the Browns organization said they wanted to get an adult as their quarterback. Man, that's tough. I mean, I've worked with bosses. I've worked at places where somebody has said something about you. A lot of times it's anonymous, but you know somebody has said something about you. Although I did have one boss who said that I was over the hill and I'd never get another job if I left ESPN. And and he owns it. He said, yeah, I said it. I said, all right. And, of course, I've forgotten about it. It's only <laughs> been 20 years ago. KG. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you think Kevin Garnett can hold a grudge. But I don't I don't hold a grudge towards Mark Shapiro. He was my Oh, no, names. Well, no, he owns it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he he admits he laughs about it. I didn't know you'd said that on air before the name. No, uh, maybe I didn't. I think that's a first checking yeah. my notes. But I I remember going, god, this guy doesn't want, he was my boss. This isn't the last show, is it? No, it's not. No, there'd be other stories that we would okay. tell. I've got the list in the vault. Yeah. But uh, I just remember my agent said, you know, I said, how did negotiations go? And he goes, he said you were over the hill and you'd never get another job if you left ESPN. Now, I didn't think of it this way, and I should have. Well, why does he still want me then? Like, he really wants me because he doesn't want me to leave and he wants me to take less money. But in my mind, I'm going, damn, that's pretty raw. That's rough. And uh, I just thought, all right. Well, I'm going to stay at ESPN because nobody will hire me. And then I remember, uh, you know, one of the guys at NBC said, uh, you're not interested in coming here? I go, oh, I didn't know you were interested in me. It's like, well, nobody followed up. And I went, well, I'm over the hill and I'll never get another job someplace else. I'm okay, though, Todd. You're past it. Yeah, I'm absolutely past it. No scar tissue here whatsoever. I surprise the Dennett's occasionally where I'll bring up a name or something and I'll be still like angry. And then you know, I think you guys don't know if am I acting or if, do I really feel this way about certain situations? Yeah, Paul. 
I like it when we're like on the road at the Super Bowl. We see someone like at the media center or someone pops on the TV and you're like, oh, that guy, I would like to take him <laughs> behind a shed and pound him. I'm like, what? He's just calling highlights here. And, you're like, and then you tell the story to us. By the way, the IndyCar <laughs> Series motors into Texas on Sunday, 1230 Eastern on NBC and Peacock, the home of the Indy 500. Make sure you go to PeacockTV.com. Sign up. We'll get to more phone calls coming up. Let me get to Nate in L.A. Nate, thanks for holding. What is on your mind today? I got a couple things, Dan. Okay. I have a question about Coach K, but first I'd like to back uh, Marvin with his pie to the face Yukon bet. Oh, okay. See, I live in LA. I live in LA now, but I am a Connecticut native, and not only my Connecticut native, I lived in stores for twelve years. Okay. So, I think I might even go so, so far to say if uh, if New Mexico loses, I'll take the pie for Marvin. Oh. Well, no, we don't allow. We, no, no, you can take one, but no, no. I mean, it's a solidarity pie, and, and but Marvin's okay, got to take it. I got you. Yeah, it's all about I content here, I Nate. I won't do that. Okay. Now, 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 would you be willing to let me come 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 back to Connecticut to receive it? Um, I can't. I can't let you do a house call here at the man cave. You know, I I can't do that, Nate. Yes, Paul. You're welcome to enter the state, just not our studio. Yeah. You can come back to Connecticut. Yeah. It's, it's, we don't run the state. I mean, we've created sort of an open door policy here, it feels like. Meet Friday. You know, like Jeff in Detroit's like, hey, one of these days I'm going to drive up. And I'm like, well, you know, let us know. <laughs> we've, had, we've had people who have taken family vacations just to drive by the man cave. And then they'll sit out in the car with the kids so it's it's a it's a husband and wife and the kids and then they're just outside and then they'll see us walk out and they're like hey Dan I'm like who 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 is that yes Paulie there's little Timmy going Dad I'm glad we didn't go to Disney World we got to talk to Paul <laughs> yeah. in the parking lot I got to meet the big German yeah. Paul talked to me for forty seconds and got in his car is that the French kid only took us eight hours to get here in the car but that's okay thanks Dad <laughs> oh God. May we never stop laughing on this show. God, today has been so much fun. That's the only way I leave. We stop laughing, I leave. Fritzy? <laughs> what is that supposed to do? Well, I'm just saying. Let's just, not just, saying let's just keep laughing. I love the laughing. Fritzy's still upset at uh, the woman. Suck it, the other guy. Yeah, basic, but she didn't say you initially, but being the journalist, I had to ask, you know, when she said, suck it half the back row. Yeah, suck it speech impediment Sam over there. I have a crush on no, the other guy. No, that'd be Sam. It'd be peach <laughs> okay, impediment really? <laughs> Let's take a break here. Coming up, we'll talk to the uh, former Ram, uh, the uh, reigning Walter Payton Man of the Year, Andrew Whitworth, will join us. More phone calls as well. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, I'm Doug Gottlieb. The podcast is called All Ball. We usually talk all basketball all the time, but it's more about the stories about what made these people love their sport and all the interesting interactions along the way. We talk to coaches. We talk to players. We tell you stories. You download it. You listen to it. I think you'll like it. Listen to All Ball with Doug Gottlieb on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Andrew Whitworth, Super Bowl champ and Walter Payton Man of the Year, and now he's officially retired. Andrew joins us on the program. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Did you know during the Super Bowl that that was your last game? I knew kind of going into the playoffs uh, that that was probably going to be the last run I was going to get to make. I, I knew the body was starting to talk to me a little bit, finally starting to feel 40. So uh, I knew it was a pretty good chance this is probably the last run I'm going to make. But when does it hit you where you go, this is it, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm retired? Or has it hit you? It really hadn't hit me yet. I mean, I, I'm still training with the guys, you know, I think it was talked about before the O-line trains at my house a little bit in the off season. So I'm still working out with them and <laughs> hanging out with them and doing all that. But uh, I'm definitely done. This is it. I'm not, I'm not playing anymore. Uh, right up until about a month from now when I tell you differently. Yeah, but Brady said the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the point. I mean, I don't, you know, and that's what's wild is it's not really a physical decision. I mean, yeah, you start to feel it a little bit as far as it's more pain than normal, but, um, right now, do I think I could get through another NFL season? Without a doubt. I just think that a lot of the things I set out to accomplish in my career, I've been able to do. And uh, I got some awesome kids and a great wife at home that uh, I'd love to go spend some more time with and, and watch them play sports and watch them live their lives a little bit. And I think that's just kind of where I'm at. What was your favorite moment in the huddle from the Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford? You know, <laughs> there's so many. The guy's so rare. He has such a rare demeanor about him when he competes. It's so fun to be in that huddle with him. Um, he's such a just a gunslinger and a guy who just wants to go after it at every moment uh, and just attack. And really just in that game, really him being in that huddle throughout the game, really in the adverse times and then also in that last drive, the demeanor he had of like, we're going to make this happen, I thought was so special. And then – Honestly, when he got in that huddle and just tried to tell us that we were going to take a need in that game, I can remember how emotional he was, and he went to talk. And instead of talking, he just looked at everybody in the huddle and was like, I love you guys. And then he just, you know, then it was like, all right, ready, break. Like, you know what we're about to do. We're taking a knee. We don't even talk about it. Uh, it was it was really cool to see how much emotion was there of really what he realized that he had accomplished. So it hit him then that he was finally going to be a Super Bowl champ and he couldn't get the words out? Yeah, you could tell it just for a second. He had to just – he looked in the huddle. He looked in those eyes. And that's the coolest part, right? I mean, when you play football, there's all these great moments that happen individually and all the passion that goes into it. But when you look across that huddle at the guys you get to do it with, sometimes those those moments are the most emotional because you realize, man, we all did this together. We've all strained. We've all fought through things together, all kinds of adversity. And we're about to take this need in this game and be world champions and it just kind of hits you what it all. I was wondering if you felt sorry for the Bengals offensive line during the Super Bowl going against uh, Aaron Donald. I feel sorry for every team that's player. <laughs> I mean, that guy is, uh, he's one of the rarest humans on the planet, man. He's his work ethic and attitude is, is really what sets him apart. He has all these insane physical traits that make you special, but there's a lot of guys walking around that, in this league that have been drafted with a lot of talent. He takes advantage of that talent with his work ethic and his demeanor every day to attack success. It's, it's second to nobody I've ever been around and uh, quite impressive. I mean, I remember going in a week after the Super Bowl to the facility to grab like my stuff, you know, I'm still barely can get it together. I've been partying and having so much fun. 
and Aaron Donald's Aaron Donald's just pounding weights and running in the gym, and I'm like, this guy's not going anywhere. <laughs> what did you keep from the Super Bowl? What's that? What did you keep from the Super Bowl? You keep uh, your- everything. <laughs> you yeah. Name it. Yeah, held on to it all, and I, I you know what? I didn't even um, wash my jersey. I literally left it with all the stains it had on it. I'm going to eventually, you know, wash it off a little bit just so it doesn't smell. But I want all the war paint on it. I don't want any, you know, let's leave all the paint on there. And, and uh, I want it to look like it played in that last game and and uh, had the time that I know I did. Do you have neighborhood dads who want to try to rush you and, and see if you can block them? Well, you know, Dan, it's one of those things. It, it never fails. Being big, it's like I, I've heard every big joke possible. You know, and it's like, it's just constant. You know, it's like, oh, man, come up with something original and I'll actually laugh. I like to give them kind of the stone cold face, Dan, just when they when they literally, like, <laughs> if it's not a good joke or it's one I've heard before, I just stare at them. <laughs> and then it makes it really awkward because they're like, well, I thought that was going to be funny, but he's not laughing. <laughs> I was also wondering about this. As a lineman, you don't get to see much of the game. Like, you're focused on the guy in front of you. Have you yep. ever gone back to look at the game to actually see what the game? Because you could be na- down on the ground on a pass play. You don't even know what happens. Yeah, you know, it's the truth. It's um, one of those things I always tell Olamin when I mentor him. Hey, look, man, you're one of the rarest athletes in the world. You're the only athlete in the world that plays with their ball, plays with the ball behind your back. Like your back's to the ball the entire game. You don't ever know what's happening other than when it runs by you. So uh, it's a pretty rare position. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's that's the funnest part, right? It's go back and watch the game and be like, all right, I want to see every little intricacy of how a guy got open or how a running back made the cut or, you know, a pass that Stafford threw. I mean, the first time people started talking about his no-looker to Cooper there late in the game against the Bengals, this is the first time I saw it too. <laughs> you know? So uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, your favorite Sean McVay story is going to be what? Oh, man. You know, there's so many. I mean, him and I, obviously, with our relationship, there's a lot of really uh, special ones, a lot of fun times we've had. Um, I think really for me, it's going to be that I think the coolest part of what made Sean McVay really the the build-up to who he is, as I tell people this a lot, when we started OTAs his very first year, a 30-year-old coach who you would think needs to come in and show guys that he under, he knows football at a really rare level to be where he is. And you'd think that the first thing you're going to do is talk about football. And I can remember our first three or four weeks of OTAs, we focused on the words character, communication, uh, you know, performing at an elite level, being at your best when your best is required. You know, just typical things that have to do with who you are as a person day in and day out and how you do things the right way. And I thought that took a lot of gumption to be able to do that as a 30-year-old, but also it set the standard for why he's created the culture he has in the Rams and and why it's such a special place to play. But it feels like he's this close to wanting to put on a uniform to prove that he could play, right? (laughs) Uh, yeah, look, there's plenty of moments of Sean hurting himself trying to be a receiver, uh, pulling quads and, and uh, everything else. You know, he, he never fails to miss an opportunity to kind of show us that he still has a little something in there. Um, you know, but it, it's only lasts for about about a second, two seconds. You know, it's just a quick little step here or there. Uh, so it's, it, there's plenty of those moments. You know, hey, he, he without a doubt always thinks he's got a helmet on when we're out there. Well, congrats, and uh, perhaps we'll cross paths uh, on a golf course with uh, some mutual friends there. 
I, I look forward to it. I can't wait. I'm going to be spending a little bit of time on those, too. Thank you, buddy. Hey, thank and, you. Uh, Andrew Whit- Whitworth won the Super Bowl. He played 16 seasons, and uh, he was the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Also won a national championship at LSU. Yeah, Paul. It's funny because he, he seems like a very nice person. But if you look at him, he's one of the scarier looking people you've ever seen. I think he's six seven, three thirty, bald and a goatee. Yeah. So if he gave you that dead stare and you're like the local dad says, Hey, uh, you you flying coach? You know, and he gives you that stare, I'd I'd run. There's gotta be a guy in the neighborhood who's like, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bull rush him. You know, I played a I played a little bit in high school. <laughs> you know, there's always there's always that guy. You know, hey, I have a second team all league in high school. Uh, let me put down uh, this white claw, and uh, I'm gonna go at you a little bit here. Uh, hold on, I gotta I gotta tighten the belt on my khakis here. And uh, all right, you ready? There's always that guy. Always that guy. A right, couple of phone calls here. Uh, Ann in Utah joining us on the program. Hi, Ann. Hi, Dan. Hi. This is first time, long time. Yeah. What can I do for you? Okay. I have a limerick. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, this is a good day for it, Ann. You'd think Todd yeah, would have come well, up with a limerick on St. <laughs> Patrick's Day, but he didn't. So what do you have for me? Okay, so um, this is based on my 11-year-old son. Uh, my oldest son uh, had to do this for homework. <clears throat> so it's based on the fact that it's been a two-year anniversary since my middle son fell out of an 18-foot window. Oh. So it's, it's, it's fine, yeah. So, <laughs> okay. There once was a small child. His fall out the window was wild. The ambulance came. There was no one to blame. And his injuries ended up mild. Wow. Did I get through it? <laughs> Are we allowed to laugh about it now, Ann? <laughs> oh, you can laugh about it now. Um, he's alive. Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> you can laugh about it now. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ann. Uh, I didn't see that one coming. I don't want to laugh at that I, I, one. You know. Uh, Todd, why didn't you come up with a limerick on St. Patrick's I don't Patrick's know. I dropped Day. the ball. But I will say I, I can now breathe a sigh of relief after the ending of that limerick because that was kind of hung up in the air until line five, you know, what the kid's condition is. That was kind of scary. Thank you, Todd. You yeah. Yes, Paul. My uh, youngest son is named Jim. He recently <laughs> lost a limb. Keep going. Yeah. What are we supposed yeah. to do with that? Yeah. Stuck his hand in the blade. <laughs> now. Dang. Ryan in Honolulu joins us on the program. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> Hello, Danny boy. Top of the morning to you. Thank you, Ryan. I got a wee bit of St. Patty's Day's names for you. <laughs> okay. NFL quarterbacks, Jameson Winston. Jameson. Okay, Jameson. All right. A little, little uh, whiskey there. Andrew Locke. Charms. Okay. Friends of the show, Limerick Neuheisel. <laughs> Rick Neuheisel, Limerick Neuheisel. Right. How about Ryan Four Leaf Clover? All right. All right. Ryan, Ryan Leaf. Mike Gaelic and Mikey Greenbeer. <laughs> Mike Gaelic and uh, Mike Greenbeer. Okay. <laughs> you. <laughs> Utah Jazz stars John Shamrockton and Carbom Malone. <laughs> Carbom Malone. <laughs> well, we we don't like wow. to mention 
Car bombs here. Right? Oh, the the the, the, the drink. The, the drink. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's right. still, still, it's still a little sensitive with car bombs. Anything else there, Ryan? And now I give you the Irish. Goodbye. Oh, <laughs> See what he did there. I like it. Well done. Ryan just owned you, Todd. Yeah. So you came up with no limerick. <laughs> no limerick, no mock headline, no, no mock names. Headlines, no names. And you had one of our listeners saying, suck it, basically, that side of the back row. Yeah, basically suck it, Fritzy. <laughs> F- figure out what's going on with your mouth and your saliva. That's a no-show. Yeah. On St. Patty's Day. Kind of mailed it. I put on my green shirt. I thought that would be enough to just show up in my green shirt and uh, have some corned beef and go home. Draymond Green Beer? Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? We we like we just <laughs> crush him mercilessly for coming up with yes. these dumb names and limericks, and then when he doesn't do it, it's like Todd, what the hell's yes. wrong with you? How can I crush him for these lame things if he doesn't do it? Oh, look what he just sent me for the fifth time. Okay, Todd, I know I got your limerick. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get this out of the how way. Do you don't not, have one? How do you not give me a limerick on St. Patty's Day? I have no excuse for that. Right. I think I'm worried about the fiberglass in my hand and the fact that oh, I've got no, out of speak. Oh, no, no, no. And by the way, someone put one of these little fiberglass sticks right by my desk today, which is not cool. And I thought it was great. It was Tyler. Yeah, you got the a kick out of that. Back room put it there. The last person I would think would do something like that. Yeah. Cold-blooded. Uh, Jordan in Tampa. Hi, Jordan. What's on your mind today? Hey, Dan Danitz. Uh, Hi, Jordan. 6'2 and an al dente 230. Oh, okay. Uh, had an interesting thing that I thought you guys would enjoy. Um, heard Fritzy's cover of Hall and Oates' Private Eyes earlier. Uh, lovely, by the way. And uh, wanted to bring to y'all's attention that there is an emergency Hall and Oates phone service called Call and Oates, uh, which you dial in and the uh, robotic operator radio you menu song choices and then you select one and it'll play. Well, thank Whatever. you. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> Can't wait to not do that. <laughs> Call and Oates. <laughs> yes, Marv. I can't go for that. Oh, no can do? There you go. Uh, don't even, don't. <laughs> I'm not. Uh... No, no, no. If you had a limerick, I'd let you sing Hall and Oates That's right true. now. That's so true. So one day of the year, yeah. a limerick would actually make sense on this show. That's it. Today is limerick It is day. the one day of the year. The worst day not to have that prepared. Yes. There are no excuses. Yes, Paul. Why can't you do it today and not the other 364 <laughs> days? That'd be Correct. fantastic. Wow. I'm going to give you time here. I'm going to give you 10 minutes. 10 minutes to whip up a limerick for me. This is my day. I know it's your day. It was very rude of me. I thought I showed proper support by wearing the, my old green Dan Patrick shirt, but I'm going to try to come up with something here. I wish you were better. Okay. <laughs> That's all you did there. You got the Irish, and you made fun of my speech. (laughs) Three points. Thank you. Thank you, Tony Rialan. We'll take a break. Uh, If you're watching on Peacock, uh, I think we have corned beef and cabbage out there. I believe our, uh, our good buddy Lou brought that in from his restaurant in Fairfield. Hub and Spoke.